You may be seated. Well, my name is Pastor Daniel, and uh, my first name is actually not Pastor, if, in case you didn't, if you're first time here. My first name's Daniel, but they call me Pastor Daniel. So uh, at this point of our worship service, we, we open up God's Word and, and we hopefully subject ourselves to what He has to say, and, and we learn about how wonderful God is, and we see how uh, amazing His grace is toward us. And for the month of February, we're focusing on marriage. Last week we saw that, that God has redeemed marriage. We saw the first marriage He created in Adam and Eve, and so they had a perfect marriage, and then they ruined that marriage by choosing to become their own God, if you will, and reject the authority God had established, and they ruined their marriage. But what we saw in the later part of chapter 3 of Genesis, that God redeemed that marriage through a sacrifice. And we see it ultimately at the cross when Jesus redeemed mankind through the ultimate sacrifice of himself. Tonight we're looking at how marriage is a covenant of grace. A lot of talk in our world today about marriage, especially in the Western world and especially in America. But I don't hear a lot of a proper discussion on a covenant and a proper discussion of what the covenant of grace that we have. And so tonight we're going to do our best to, to see what God's Word has to say about this covenant of grace. And I want to encourage you, if you're married, that there's no other relationship more important in the world than your marriage that is given between human beings. And if you're not married, I want you to understand that there's still no greater relationship possible for you than a marriage between two human beings. It mirrors the covenant that we have with God. It's binding. Tim Keller wrote a fantastic book called The Meaning of Marriage. I've read through it three times. I'm on my way through it the fourth time now because it's that good. He quoted a legal scholar named John Witt Jr., and this is what the scholar said. He said, The earlier ideal, speaking of the past, the earlier the past ideal of marriage as a permanent contractual union designed for the sake of mutual love, procreation, and protection, is slowly giving away, giving way to a new reality of marriage. It's becoming a terminal sexual contract. Terminal means it will end. A terminal sexual contract designed for the gratification of individual parties. So he's saying no longer is, is marriage the framework of a, or built upon the framework of a, of a lifelong devotion between a husband and a wife, which is a covenant. He said it's not built upon that anymore. That's not where we are today. He's saying no longer is marriage a place for each person to forsake their individualness for the sake of this new, newly formed partnership. So it's becoming less of a place for sacrifice. He says, no longer is it becoming a, a, a sacrament of God's love and for us to serve the common good. And no longer is it designed to create character, to create character in people by bringing a man and a woman together into a binding partnership where you're forced to deal with your flaws. It's easy to run away, isn't it? Having boyfriends and girlfriends is pretty easy. They mess up, 
Break it off. Start over somewhere else. They don't like something about you. Forget you. I'll go somewhere else and I'll find happiness somewhere else. And unfortunately, marriage has started to become that. To where we say, you know what? Instead of until death do us part. Until you try to change me. You should love me for who I am. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. He says, no longer is it even considered ideal for raising emotionally and generally healthy children. There are all these different alternatives to marriage today. It's seen more as a formal way for us to find our own emotional and our own sexual fulfillment. Basically, self-actualization. Marriage has become focusing on me. A me marriage. And oftentimes, this selfishness, this meanness, this self-actualization comes at the expense of our spouse. And this leads us to the majority of all divorces. This is not God's plan for marriage. He has a much loftier plan, a good plan. If you leave here tonight, we talked about this um, in January. We talked about worship for a month, four Sundays. My favorite one was when we talked about private worship and public worship. It so spoke to me about public worship that one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, for Christians to gather together on Sunday and worship together is to encourage one another. You see, I grew up where I just, you know, I, you know preacher, preach the right doctrine. That's your main function is you, you, you make sure the songs are perfect and you do the right doctrine. That's how you worship God. But that's not what Hebrews said. Hebrews talked about the encouragement of the saints. And the best way to do that is through good doctrine, through good songs. But our purpose in being here today is to be encouraged. So if you leave here not encouraged by the grace of God, I don't think you listened. Or I did a very poor job of what my job is. So I want you to be encouraged today as we look at what God's plan for marriage is, and we see clearly that marriage is a covenant of grace. Can you say that word, grace? Grace. Let's look with, uh, look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and following. We'll look at about 13 verses here, and this is a, a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And one of the great things about the New Testament letters is Paul took all the things, and Johnny mentioned this in the welcome, he said, all throughout history, God has made covenants with his people. And they've all been based upon grace. And these, these covenants come together. And so what Paul has done for us is he's taken the story of God's redemption, which is the Bible, and he's put it into some practical things for us. He's saying, all right, this is what God said, and this is how it fleshes out in your daily life. So let's look here and see what Paul has to say in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to come back to this later. But this is important. This is what he says. And in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You with me so far? Some of you girls are looking at me funny. I'll pick on the husbands. Here we go. Husbands, love your wives, 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I like that he acknowledges the fact of this mystery because marriage is oftentimes a mystery. Especially for us guys, when I don't understand her. This is a mystery. She's a mystery to me. She's wonderfully complex. And ladies are always thinking, what is he thinking? And it baffles you that he's thinking nothing at all. (laughs) In the same way, there's some wonderful mysteries in our relationship with God. And he says this mystery is profound, and, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This can't be overstated when we talk about marriage. It cannot be overstated that this covenant is based upon grace. The covenant that God has established with us through Christ is based upon grace. Marriage as a covenant is based upon grace. You see, Christ pursues us. We are the bride of Christ. He pursues His bride, not because we're deserving of it. We're not making ourselves look nice for Him and and, and fixing ourselves up so that He'll notice us. But He pursues us by His grace. And then guess what He does when He pursues us? He obtains us. And now it's because we've earned it, right? No. He even draws us into His family by His grace. He pursues us. He obtains us. But now that we're a part of His family, now we have to shape up or ship out, right? You've got you to walk the walk or hit the road, right? You've got to toe the line, if you will. No. He sustains us, not by our effort, but by what? You guys are catching on to this, aren't you? He sustains us by His grace. How that gives me peace when I think about that. But He does something else too. He will perfect us. We're not finished yet. And one day we will be as much as possible like Christ, resurrected. And guess what? It will be by His grace. Marriage, our covenant with God, our covenant with our husband or wife is built upon grace. In Luke chapter 6, we we see Jesus teaching about grace. And, And in this time, He's talking about not marriage, but another relationship that we might be familiar with. Look in uh, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 27. 
He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. If you've been married long enough, sometimes you think this might be talking about marriage. If you haven't been married, you probably didn't laugh there. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And skip down to verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the way Jesus spoke as to how we are to extend grace and love to our enemies. So how much more should we extend grace and love to the ones that we are married to? Grace. You may think, okay, well, if I'm going to live out this covenant of grace, obviously you're telling me I just need to forgive and forbear and forget and just just live that way and just understanding they're going to be a total failure and it's up to me to forgive and forget everything that they do wrong. Ultimately, I think you can forgive everything your spouse might do to you. I'll admit that. But I think it is inaccurate to say that we can forget everything. However, I think we can change how we choose to remember those failures. Instead of looking back and every time we get into an argument, bringing up the fact, yeah, you remember you did that? Instead of bringing it up and and throwing it back in their face, we can remember that as grace abounding in our relationship. I'm not going to bring that up because I gave that forgiveness to them. I've forgiven them because of the forgiveness Christ has given to me. And I'm extending that mercy to them And so we can see it as an opportunity of grace abounding in our relationship. So does the covenant of grace mean that we just kind of give up? And we don't strive for living better? I mean, should I just accept the fact that, you know, your, your wife may not want to ever say anything nice to you and you should just be okay with that? Or your husband may want to just sleep all day and party all night and, and should we just be okay with that? Is there no hope for... Uh, Growth? Transformation for them? Let me ask you this, personally. You can just answer silently, because it might get awkward if you answer out loud. But have you ever struggled with something that you just didn't seem to be able to stop doing? Maybe a sin? Maybe arrogance? Pride? Lust? Anxiety? a desire for attention? Have you ever just longed for victory in those areas in your life? I mean, you understand that, that, yeah, God forgives me and there's grace and that's fantastic, I'm washed clean, but you just don't believe you can ever walk in victory over this. We shouldn't think that the covenant of grace has no power to change us. We should not think that the covenant of grace has no power to change us. Within marriage and within all relationships, it is the grace 
that gives us the ultimate power to change and to change our spouses. So I want to talk about something today that every married person wants to talk about. And every person that will one day be married will one day want to talk about. You ready? I'm not going to talk about how to change you. You hear that all the time. Forget about you. Okay? Let's talk about how to change your spouse. Huh? Are you excited? My wife just bubbled. She's bubbly over here. Let's talk about how to change your spouse. Let's look at the husbands first. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Let's see how the husbands can change wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He's speaking of the covenant that we have with Christ here, and what we see is the bride of Christ is growing. They're transforming. They're becoming less and less sinful, if you will. They're maturing, becoming more and more like Christ. And so what does this mean for our desires as a husband, being a husband myself, and wanting to see growth in my wife and changes. Well, first thing, I want to give myself and yourself a warning. This does not mean that everything that is different about her needs to be changed. God has created her uniquely different. Unfortunately, many times people come to these texts and they say, well, you know, I'm the, I'm the man of this family. And as you can tell, I wear the pants. It's going to be my way. You need to conform to my way. But this is not at all what God is saying for the husbands here. This is not, in nowhere in the Scriptures do we see biblical evidence for husbands to conform their wives to their image. If we don't like something about her, then we have the responsibility in some way to help see change happen in her. If that change is leading her to become more like who? Like Christ. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he's saying, husbands, Christ did this. And as he did this, I want you to do this too. As he did this, I want you to do this too. He did not say that, husbands, you are Christ in the relationship. You are what saves her. He didn't say that, but he says, as Christ did this, as he led her, the bride, I want you to do this. So it's important for us to understand that we are not Christ. It's important for us to understand that we do not want our wives to conform to everything that we have a preference for, but our desire, when it's pure, will want our wife to grow to become more and more like Christ. And so our desire won't be conformity to my vision, but will be conformity to Christ's likeness for my bride. And the way that I help her find this is not by lording it over her, but it's by dying for her. As Christ gave himself up for the church. 
can I say after 13 and a half, I can't say it because I'm about to, so after 13 years of marriage, I am exponentially more selfish than I ever thought I was. You know who knows that more than anyone? My wife. There have been many times in our relationship where I have chosen not to die to myself, but to try to conform her or desire her. Maybe I didn't try to conform her, but there was this yearning, a desire for her to conform to what I wanted in a wife. There's no dying in that, except maybe killing her spirit. Marriage brings that out. You can't run away from this this covenant when you do this God's way. And so he's saying, husbands, it's, it's almost absurd when we think about the way the world works for us to think about dying for someone in order to see change happen within them. But this is the way God's designed for us as husbands to, to lead our wives is by sacrificing our desires, to dying to ourselves. You know what? If this is what's best for her to become more like Christ, for me to give this up, give it up. Well, what is that? Who cares? She's your wife. Die for her. Give things up for her. Encourage her. Lead her. Not by lording this over her, but by dying for her. And husbands, if you're loving your wife this way, even when you confront her, it will be done in gentleness. And if you're loving her like Christ loved the church, and you confront her in gentleness, she'll receive it as an act of love instead of something that's trying to humiliate her. If you serve her with blessings, with kindness, with forgiveness, with mercy. You can help her grow to become more like Christ because of God's grace. That's how you change your wife. Let's talk about how to change those hard-headed husbands. It's easier for me to talk bad about husbands because I'm one of those. I hope that uh, I did justice to God's word as far as to the wives' concern. So wives, let's talk about changing the husbands. You ready? Angela? Okay. Chapter 5, verse 22 of Ephesians. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, we're just going to close with that. Okay? Sounds good. There we go. Let's let's pray. Um, Jesus is the one to whom we ultimately submit to. Wives, Your full submission should always be to Christ. This is not an encouragement for wives to stay into an abusive relationship. It's not what God is saying here. What is He saying? He's saying there is a way for you to be able to change your husband. And as we walk through this, I want to share a few things. The the first thing is, when we think about our relationship with God, first of all, if, if... as Christ did this, husbands do this. Submit, Wives, submit to the husband as to the Lord. I want to also make the distinction, your husband isn't Christ, and he's going to have things in his life that need changing. Whenever we go to Christ and we want to uh, use and, and to experience the relationship we have with him, we go to him how? How do we talk with God now? That's right, through prayer. Through prayer, we talk with God. And so we ask God things. But the thing about Jesus is we don't have to go to him and 
say, you know what, <laughs> you really messed up over here, um, and I would, I would like you to reconsider your actions and your words in this situation, Jesus, because you're really out of line. But a lot of times, wives will find our husbands, they've made a mistake, and we, we need, we as if I'm a wife, but wives need to go and talk to their husbands. And so as we go to God and we ask Him about, about things, we can also go to husbands in a respectful way, and we can ask them for change. When we ask our husband to change, and we do it in a, we're doing it in a way that's respectful, and we're honoring him, and it sets him up to understand that you are living as a wife under the covenant of grace, and you're giving him honor and giving him an opportunity to respond to your request. Every husband needs changed. Every wife needs changed. There is no perfect spouse waiting for you out there if you're single. They're not there. If you're married, you're married to an imperfect person, and you most likely already know that. Do not fantasize about there being a perfect spouse out there. It's not happening. I need to continue to change throughout my lifetime. My wife needs to continue to change throughout her lifetime. And God wants to use each of us to help that happen, to become more and more and more like Christ through this covenant of grace. But ladies, as you go to your husband, I want to remind you of something. As I reminded the husband not to lord it over you, that God has called you to lead your wife by dying for you. God hasn't called you to be the savior of your husband either by nagging him over and over and over. We saw it happen on the way here, didn't we? There was a lady who was stuck. They were trying to park, and she was just lacing into her husband because he scratched the car. And it just kind of broke my heart because you know, this sermon was on my, my heart already, and I was thinking, man, that's really not a way to speak to your husband. hurt me. In 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 1, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Peter is speaking specifically about a, a wife who's living with an unbeliever, but there's a, a principle at work here. And he's saying, don't nag your husband all the time to do this. Honor him. Show as much as you can honor Jesus with submission, submit to your husband and, and work with him in a respectable way. Honor him. He's your man. Treat him with respect. Don't nag him so that he'll be won by the conduct of his wife. There's power in this. So he says, not just the husbands are to live and dying for their wives, but he also says the wives are to live a sacrificial type of love for their husbands, loving him and honoring him out of reverence for Christ. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, because that was the verse that started this whole section in Ephesians. And he says, submitting to one another out of the reverence, out of reverence for Christ. Now that's every relationship. That's not just marriage. Submitting to one another, 
putting Sean's desires before my desires. Whatever helps you become more like Christ, as long as it's not hurting me, I should be willing to do that for you as a Christian brother. For Johnny, for Anka, for Sharon, even though you live in Texas. I should still do that, right? It's another country. Foreigners like Sharon. We should be willing to do this, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if you're comfortable enough doing this, feel free to. If not, you, can, you, know, you may think I'm going to throw something at you. But I want to invite you, if you're comfortable, to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to think about what this reverence for Christ means. When I think about what has Christ done? What has He done for me? What has He done for us? that is worth me dying to myself or living sacrificially. Well, what Christ has done for us is He's given Himself up for us. He did die for us. Through that, He's cleansed us. We've been washed clean by the grace of Jesus Christ. He transforms us. We become a new creation in Christ. Christ who stands in authority over this world instead of choosing condemnation for us. He's chosen grace by being condemned Himself. This Christ, this Messiah, has made us holy as His chosen people. This Christ, this Lord of Lords, nourishes us and He gives us victory over sin. This Jesus of Nazareth We become one flesh with Him. We become one body of believers. We become children of God, no longer children of wrath. He gives us a beautiful mystery of His love to soften our hearts with grace. He gives us the Holy Spirit of God to live within us. He comforts us now with the hope of this life that no matter what happens, that we have everything in Him. And He comforts us during this life too because... He also gives us the promise of the resurrection. That one day He will fully redeem this world and restore earth and heaven. And we will have eternal life with Him forever and ever. Amen. May you open your eyes and bow your head, or raise your heads. The key for me to living a life to where I, I die to myself is by focusing on Christ and feeding my soul on what He has done. The key to a wife living that way for her husband sacrificially is to be focusing on what Christ has done for her and feeding on that and letting that nourish her soul and change her desires. In the American church, we focus too much on the individual. I want you to understand these words very clearly. God loves you. Jesus died for you. God's covenant of grace. And as we come to the communion table in just a few moments, that promise of of forgiveness and redemption and eternal life is for you. But that promise is for your spouse too. God loves 
them. His grace abounds for them. That promise applies to your neighbor. God loves that angry neighbor, that angry boss. He loves them, and His grace is for them too. So the key for dying for your wife is to focus on the grace of Jesus. The key to submitting to your husband is to focus on the grace of Jesus. And the grace of Jesus is this, that there is a covenant of grace that God has made with us. It's an eternal covenant. And this covenant cannot be broken by anything that we do. You did nothing to earn this covenant of grace. No matter how you fail Jesus, He will never break His promise to you. I got one amen on that one. No matter what you do, God will never leave you. That is the covenant of grace that we have with Jesus. No matter what you do, grace. God pursues you by His grace. He gathers us by grace. He keeps us going. He sustains us. By how? By grace. And He will perfect us when we work really hard. No. By grace. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Verse and through 13, it says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with Him, speaking of Christ, if we died with Christ, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. And if we are faithless, He remains faithful. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Your covenant with God is not based on your efforts. It's not based on your ability to live up to the word or the letter of the law. It is built upon the fact that Jesus Christ has done that for you, and He is gracing you into forgiveness, into the kingdom of God. And your marriage is built upon that grace. Your relationships are built upon that grace. This is a covenant of grace. We can be a faithful, gracious, forgiving, a transforming power to our spouse within the covenant of marriage because the grace of God continues to be poured out upon us day after day, morning after morning. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we thank you so much that we come to you not based upon our own merit, but we come based upon the grace of a God who loves us enough to pursue us, to draw us into the family, to help us keep going when we want to quit and to perfect us eventually one day. We praise you that we have the certainty that we are known by you, not because we didn't sin this week, but because... Our faith is in the sinless one, the holy one, the righteous one, the the king of kings, the redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so we come to you based upon that grace. And I pray that you would transform our marriages, our future marriages, our relationships with our family, our children, our bosses, that we would be the best neighbor on the block because we would be the most gracious, forgiving, merciful, God-honoring neighbor that anyone around us knows. Transform us by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.
There's a couple ways at this point of our service we, we like to open it up to respond. And so there's a couple ways we can do that. Um, I'm going to be standing over here in winter. She will be standing over here. So if you want, you can come down and pray during this song with one of us. You can also come and, and pray at the altar here. There's some nice padded cushions that you can pray.